Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to find Luke chapter number 18. Luke 18. You know, when I was a little boy, and some people might still say right now, I, I struggled with, with my temper. And um, my grandmother would turn this three-letter word into a two-syllable word. The word was E-L-M, elm. But she would say, go get me an Elm switch. And she used to tell me that she was going to work on my head through my behind. She was faithful, I'm telling you. But one of the things she used to tell me that stuck with me because it, it, it bothered me how true it was about me. It bothered me. Even when I was very little, I knew she was right and I just didn't want her to be right. But I could not deny that she was right. She would say, boy... Your temper gets you into a lot of trouble that your pride keeps you in. Now, maybe you don't struggle with your temper. You know, maybe you don't. Maybe you struggle with greed. Maybe you struggle with something else. Name yours. I don't know. I don't want to name something and somebody think I'm picking on you. I'm picking on me this morning. But what's often true about us is whatever we struggle with gets us into trouble and pride keeps us there. That's something we tend to share in common. And so I often think of pride as a top that's put on a cup that stops you from putting anything else in there. For Christmas, I got a colander for my office and uh, it has this like a little plastic Tupperware top to put on top of this glass container and just this past week, I went to refill it with the top on. Yeah, somebody picked that up real fast. I made a mess. I made a mess. I wonder sometimes, people of God, listen to me. I wonder what God's trying to pour into us that pride is capping off. I wonder. And you may not have the exact same struggle as I do, but I believe pride and unbelief are the universal struggles of mankind. I believe unbelief stops us connecting with God and, and pride keeps us from receiving sometimes when we're connected. And so these are the issues that we need to face. Pride, unbelief. So over the next four weeks as we prepare our hearts for revival, and I really am praying that God prepares our hearts for revival so that when Troy gets here, he has to catch up with us. Somebody say amen. Wouldn't that be cool if the preacher got here and had to catch up with us because we were ready in spirit for God to pour something into us. So this morning I want to look at Luke chapter 18, just a few verses, and then get ready for Bible drill. I'm going to take you a few places and then make a couple points, and then I pray we'll be on our knees. In Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9, the Bible reads like this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Many sermon. You see here, everybody says, I'm okay. And what is it? When you say, I'm okay, what does that immediately do? It affects how you treat others. You see that? Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I mean, he basically called names on the man. And he, then he goes on to list his good parts. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Hold on, before I pray, church, let me give you this mini sermon. You see, one man was doing everything right, but won't right. The other man won't doing stuff right, but won't to get right. Who went away justified? The man who wanted to get right. So it's not about checking off your list to see like, hey, am I doing this, that, and the third? The question is, are you right? Are you connected with the Lord in such a way that he can touch your heart at any moment and have your attention? That's what I'm talking about. Let's pray this morning. Fathers, we open your word, open our hearts. And Father, whatever we've got this morning, you know, whether it's tiredness or battling with sickness or worried about our kinfolks or stuff going on at work, stuff going on in our relationships, minister to every person and every family at the Risa Baptist Church this morning. Minister your word to them, minister your presence to them, and and God calls a shift to happen in us where we let you pour into us. In Jesus I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Before we can get started, I want to tell you, my introduction is going to be about as long as my sermon. And y'all just got nervous, right? Say amen. <laughs> the thing is, though, the thing is, it's sort of like it takes, it seems like it takes a lot longer to get a garden ready than it does to plant a garden. You know, I want to put something down this morning, but I got to get, I got to get some stuff plowed here. And that's the, way the, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. He breaks up fallow ground and prepares it for the seed. And Jesus actually tells us in one place in the New Testament, like, if you don't understand the parable of the sower, you won't understand anything I say. What's the parable of the sower about? The parable of the sower is about there's one sort of soil condition that is ready for immediate and long-term fruit, and there's three kinds that's not. Thorny soil, shallow soil, rocky soil, not ready. So what's the Holy Spirit doing this morning? If I don't know anything else he's doing, we're going to have us a problem if I don't lose that. If I don't know anything else I, he's doing, I know he's doing this. He is plowing our hearts. You know why? Because he wants us to get the implanted word of God and to see us bear fruit for his glory. Church, say amen. amen. So let's do some plowing. Let's let him do some plowing. I want to look at what some, some, just some of what the Bible says about pride so that when I share some things that I think will really, really challenge us, we'll already be plowed and ready for it. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16, the, well, let's go with this first. Good. Psalm 138, 6. For though the Lord is high, he regards the holy, but the haughty or the proud he knows from afar. Do you, church, you see that? God says there's a distance. You see it? So for the person that's humble, what's God do? He regards them. He's looking at them. He's watching them. But for the proud person, there's a distance. There's a distance. Or how about Proverbs 6, 16? This is part of a list. This is just part. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes. That means a proud look. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. The list goes on. But look at that haughty eyes part. That's a person who's given a proud look to things. A proud look to what? Fill in the blank. A proud look to life. A proud look to uh, pick out an area of your life and say, well, I'll let God speak to me there. 
I mean, some of us are like those knights who went off to the holy war and they would go, they would walk them through rivers and baptize them and they'd hold their swords out of the, out of the water. And, and you know, watcher says, well, you know, what are they doing? Trying to keep the rust off of them? No, they said everything that went under the water belonged to the Lord and everything that stayed out belonged to them. And it wasn't just that they wanted to do bad with that sword. They knew that that's how they got rich was by the sword. And so they didn't want to, they didn't want to give that to the Lord. Some, some folks in here, you got areas of your life you just don't want to give to the Lord. You, you, you're just holding it back. So you're looking, you know, and I'm the same way. We're looking like at a, with a proud look at an area of our lives. Like somebody in here has got 17 excuses why you don't tithe. Somebody else has got 27 excuses why you won't serve. Somebody else has got 19 excuses why you won't witness. Somebody else has got 12 excuses why you won't read your Bible. That's looking, that's, that's having a, a proud look at an area of life. Or how about in general? How about an emotional issues? Look, look at that stuff. Are we, are we having a proud look at life or, or will we let God touch and speak to us in every area of our lives? Or, or look at Proverbs eight thirteen. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate. Wow. Did you notice that God just put pride here right in the category of evil? Pride is evil in God's wow. Or how about Proverbs 16, 5? Everyone who is arrogant, where church? Say it together. It is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Do you know it's, it's very easy actually to go around with a smile on your face and meanness in your heart? I tell people that most lies get told. I usually say it, you know, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, but 8, 8.30 counts too. That's when the most lies get told. How are you doing? Fine. We ain't fine. Stop lying. We just don't know if we can trust them people to tell them how we really feel. The truth is, the truth is to be arrogant in heart. You, you know, we can say the right things, put on the right look, but what does God look? God looks right into the heart. Well, how about Proverbs 16, 8, 18? Pride goes before, read it, church, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Wow. Well, what about, let's turn to the New Testament for a couple. Let's look at James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace, therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me, let me tell y'all something right now. I had three older brothers, and they, they all had different hobbies. One liked to fish, one liked to play baseball, another one loved to hunt. But they all shared one thing in common, they liked to beat me up. And I had this special quality called stupid growing up. And they would do these things where they would try to make me say uncle. And I, I, mm-mm. And one of my favorite stories to tell children is how I had this one brother who would pin me down and he'd put his knees right here in that soft spot. And he would just go back and forth with those knees and it would hurt and I'd cry out. And he'd tell me all kinds of things like he'd try to say, say you love Duke. And I'd say, I'd say, Virginia Cavaliers. <laughs> you know, he'd say, Say, I'm your daddy. I say, we don't know who your daddy is. <laughs> well, somewhere in my childhood, he figured out this one thing he could do. He would let his saliva drip. And then he'd pull it back up. I'm telling you, kids always love this story. Y'all adults are going to get sick. I don't care. <laughs> and he'd do that, and he'd pull it up, and he'd say, 
you know, say such and such. And I, I just wouldn't do it. I just was so hard-headed, so I was, you know, stupid's knowing what you ought to do and not doing it. I could be very stupid at times, y'all. And he'd do it again, you know, and you could just see it coming down. And, you know, I can't go around and do it like this. Well, I don't know if y'all understand liquid viscosity, but it breaks down the more it's used. If you don't know what I'm talking about, turn to somebody who understands and ask. And if I didn't give in before long, <clears throat> and then I'd just be more mad. But I couldn't, I, I just couldn't do it, you know. I, I couldn't move, I couldn't get up. And so I would do things to him when he went to sleep. <laughs> I couldn't beat him in a fair fight. I know what it's like to just go into my house, right, and wonder what's going to happen. That was the way we lived. That was the way I lived with my brothers. They were practical jokers. They were mean. If they were all sitting right here on this road, they'd be doing this. It's kind of funny since I survived. It wasn't funny growing up. But since I've survived, it's just hilarious stuff. They tied me up with some of that green clothesline wire and left me in the woods for six hours one time. That was pretty funny. You know, to walk in the house and know you in opposition with everybody in the house is a tough, tough feeling. What if you live in a universe where your pride causes you to live in the opposition to the one that's always in every place in that universe? That verse right there scares me in a, in a holy, good kind of way of being scared. Does that make sense, church? The holy, good kind of way of being scared. God opposes the proud. M much of my life has been characterized by pride. So when I read that verse, what is Tim Bowes here? Man, God, God's been in opposition to much of my attitude, my thought processes, my ways, the way I've responded to things, the way I've treated people. Pride has been a problem in my life since the day I was born. And I'm learning that God opposes that sort of behavior and that sort of attitude. But I'm learning that he gives unmerited favor to the humble. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 is very similar to it. Likewise, you are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another. Do you see right here, it takes this relationship of not being proud toward God, and it translates it to not being proud toward authority, human authority, right? What is he? Here you go again. God opposes the proud, but does what? Say it, church. Gives divine, unmerited favor. I go to this one place and get ice cream and I don't know it's because I go there a lot or because they just like me or because they say that I'm fat and they always give me an extra scoop of ice cream. I'll tell them not to. You pay for one, they give me two. You pay for two, they give me three. One day I'm going to walk in and say, give me seven. I'm just going to see what'll happen. Will it be eight or will it be 12? I don't know. But that's unmerited favor. And I'll tell them, I'll say, well, let me pay for it. Don't give it to them. And no matter who's working, they always want to give me an extra scoop. I really don't know why. Maybe they feel sorry for me. I don't know. But we know what unmerited favor looks like. But do you ever pause to think what divine unmerited favor looks like? The Apostle Paul would say if he's already given you his son, if he's already given you the precious, most excellent treasure of heaven, what is God going to hold back from you? I don't know if y'all with me yet, church. I don't know if you're with me yet. So he supposes the proud, but he wants to give divine unmerited favor to the humble. Where is your life most characterized right now? Is it by pride or are you ready for God to bless you? Think about that.
What about 2 Chronicles 7, 14? We love to quote it during revival times, but if you ever noticed, right, there's, there's some critical things that hinge on the word if. If my people who are called by my name, do what, church? All right, let me ask you something. In a few weeks here when we gather and have special music and have preaching, who wants to see, who wants to see this church get blessed? Who wants to see it? All right, I'm praying for everybody didn't raise your hand. <laughs> who wants to see your family get touched by God? Who would like to see Person County on fire for Jesus? If my people who call by my, by my name do what? Step one, humble yourself. And if we could just keep that picture before us, just keep a picture of trying to pour something into something else when the top is on it. Pride blocks us from receiving divine unmerited favor. It's not about deserving anything. It's just about saying, God, here I am before you. I want to be a vessel. I want to be receptive to divine unmerited favor. It goes on to say, they'll humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. There's a whole gamut of things that comes with humility. Humble yourself, right, and turn to God. Humble yourself and say, God, we want more of you. Humble yourself and repent of things and ways that do not agree with God. Then he says, I'm going to give you a special hearing. You're going to be heard in heaven, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to heal your land. Well, here's one of my favorite verses um, uh, in the whole entire Bible. Make note of this. I love this verse. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. Isn't that a funny thing to say, inhabits eternity? Where do you live? Well, I live over in Bushy Fork. Where does God live? He inhabits eternity, timelessness whose name is holy. Listen to what God says. This is now, the prophet is quoting, this is a thus saith the Lord moment. I dwell in the high and holy place. And where else, church? Read it together. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Whoa, get out of town. You look out beyond the cosmos, and you can't even see beyond the cosmos, but just try. Look past the stars of this galaxy to the galaxy of other galaxies to the universe. Beyond that, beyond that, or as as Psalm 8 tells us, he dwells above the earth, right? Look beyond that, and God lives in this place that is more majestic than all of that combined. And where does he also choose to set up residence? In the heart of a person who is lowly and contrite. And what's he want to do there? Look at it. And to revive the heart of the contract. But here's what we run into a lot. Matthew chapter 18 tells us this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest kingdom, is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it interesting, right, that they're, they're trying to jockey to figure out how they can earn highest favor. And he says, he's saying, like, don't be childish, but be childlike. Whoever's like a child. Now, we got lots of beautiful children with us. Amen. Amen. So let me be careful. I want you adults to, you might have to help me with this later on when you get home, right? You ever notice how kids don't have a problem believing anything we tell them? Give them any holiday story you want 
Adults, y'all with me? If you're with me, say amen. amen. Tell them any holiday story you want, and they'll track right with you. Don't they? See, we're built to believe. It's only the snidness of life and the pride of the flesh that ever gets that away from us. Children are built to believe. Parents, parents, be careful what you tell your kids. Don't, don't tell them so many things that they're going to later discover aren't so that they won't be able to believe the biggest truth of all that is so. Be careful, right? Parents, say amen. amen. Parents of little ones, say amen. You know your kids are built to believe. My daughter, we rode home one time. She was real little. We rode home. And she, somebody had given her a balloon. God bless America. I had a Nissan Stanza. Okay, I barely fit in a Nissan Stanza. She's in the back, and she's got this balloon, and she's just singing and playing with the balloon, and things keeps bopping me upside the head. We walk into the house, and she's walking right alongside me, and I can't move without these balloons in my face, and she don't even know. She's like, hey, 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 hey. And, uh, and she, she, I'm so aggravated with this balloon. She lets the balloon glow, and it goes up, and the fan hits it. And I said something like offhand like, oh, you got you got to tie that fan, that balloon down before it gets in the fan motor and stops it up and catches the fan on fire and burns the house to the ground. <laughs> and I went and put it in our hallway, which is one of the few spaces that don't have a ceiling fan. And I just says, got to keep it in here, baby. What I was really saying was get that balloon away from my head. <laughs> Fast forward about four years. She has a sister by this point. Her sister comes in, lets go of a balloon. My daughter freaks out. You're going to burn the house down. I'd only ever said that to her once. She, you know, she said, burn my house down, huh? I hate all balloons from here on out, you know. And I didn't realize how deeply she had believed that and how much she had taken it to heart. We're built to believe. We're built to believe. We are built to believe. We need to be careful what we're believing and what we're buying into, and that's not just restricted to children. Say Amen. And I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how much in our competition to be thought well of among folks are we blocking out God in our lives. I wonder. Now, I told y'all my introduction was about as long as my sermon. You'll be happy to know the introduction's over. No amens? Come on, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Wanda. I heard you. We need more loud people like her saying Amen. Mr. Bose back there, he's, what is it with Bose's anyway? <laughs> Have we plowed the soil, folks? Do you believe God has a certain attitude toward pride? Do you? Now, let me ask you this before we proceed toward the, toward the, the actual sermon. Do you believe that God has a certain attitude toward your pride? It's really easy in a message like this to elbow somebody or to make a note and say, I wish so-and-so had heard that. I hope. It's really, look, you know, to look across sanctuary and say, I hope they're listening. The very essence of that is pride. The real challenge is to say, am I listening? So I'm going to do something a bit unorthodox right now. I'm going to pray again. Because I don't want you to hear this hoping someone else heard it. I want us to hear this, and I'm praying we hear it. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, just like 
these wonderful ladies sang to us, led us to sing earlier, open the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes of our heart. We want to see you. Lord, we want to see ourselves, but we don't want to look at ourselves too long because what we'll find is hopelessness. But we want to look at ourselves as you see us and then as we could be in your sight. So, Father, as I share these five words of inventory, I pray we're not tempted to say, I hope so-and-so is listening. But I pray we're open. We've pulled the top off and say, God, speak to me. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. Five quick things from that passage I read originally. Five problems of pride. Number one, pride refuses to admit need. You go back and you look at that passage and the, the Pharisee is standing there and he, he, they go up to the temple to pray and Jesus is using this as a parable, right? He is telling a story with a point, but it's one of those things that if you've been a churchman or church lady for long, you can really see something like this happening. The Pharisee is standing by himself and he says, let me make a list of how I'm not bad and how I am good. He's refusing to admit that he has any sort of need. He says, I'm okay. Here's the evidence. I'm not bad. Here's the evidence. In our culture, we love to say things like, at least I'm not a murderer. That's why Jesus would come along next to us and, so, and say, if you have anger in your heart, that's murder. All right. Now, anybody in here ever had anger in your heart? Raise your hand. You ever had anger in your heart? Okay. It was three or four of y'all I would like to send to the uh, UN. Maybe you could solve some stuff. Let's try that again. Have you ever had anger in your heart? Have you ever let, had anger in your heart that made it out to your tongue? You ever had anger in your heart that made it past your tongue and to your hands? Right. Have you ever had anger in your heart that you smiled the whole way through it? We've all been there. We've all been there. So everybody just confessed. Well, pretty much everybody just confessed you got a place at the altar this morning. You just said, I need help. Maybe you've gotten it in time past. Rejoice. What if we went through the whole list? What if we went through the whole list and broke down from behavior to heart condition? Anybody in this room, raise your hand if you've ever blown a billion dollars. Anybody in here ever carelessly spent a dollar? You see what I mean? Anybody in here, anybody in here own a house like the Biltmore? Anybody ever watch shows on TV wishing your house would be more than it was? Covetousness. Not all of it's like that, but am I making my point? Am I making my point, church? Maybe not. We're not talking about just the areas where people can see we failed. We're talking about the essence of who we are. And the, one of the core problems of pride is it just says, I'm okay. Here's what I do good. Here's what I do bad. I'm okay. Secondly. Pride, if pride does admit need, pride refuses to admit that you can't meet your own needs. 
That's an issue here. That's what this guy says here. That's what this Pharisee says. He says, well, I'm just glad I'm not like that guy. And it might as well have called names. It might as well say, Lord, <laughs> I, I, I preach the gospel. And uh, Lord, I, I pray. And, and Lord, I, I give my tithe. And at least I'm not like Jeff Norman. <laughs> but it's just, it's just ugly, ain't it? That's what the man does. He goes, I'm okay. Here's my evidence. And I know I'm okay compared to that guy. And wherever I'm not okay, I can fix me. That's kept a many a man off his knees. Now, are, are we talking about how you look in front of folks? No, we're talking about popping off the top and letting divine unmerited favor pour into your life. This is a big deal. Thirdly, pride is more concerned with what people think than what God thinks. You know, I believe the scriptures when they said there's going to be a judgment. But I don't want to, I don't want to work out of fear, right? I believe there's going to be a judgment. Church, say amen. amen. I'm going to train y'all in this amen stuff. I don't want to work just out of this fear thing in my life. I want to work out of delight. I want to work out of delight. I have these two. I tell a lot of stories about my kids because I love them and they taught me a lot about God. Is that okay? I got these two, and they're not here, and uh, that's okay. <laughs> but I have these two really ugly birdhouses they painted for me. And we made them together out in the yard, ruined one of our plastic tables because somebody didn't cover it up. And But the whole time, they were both really little, and the, the younger one was, well, she, she, you know, she was like maybe two, and the other one was five. The whole time, I, I, I just wanted to cry the whole time because they kept saying, how does this look, Daddy? How does this look, Daddy? How does this look, Daddy? Their reference point for that joy moment was the, was the pleasure of their father. I want to live like that with my heavenly father. I want him to be the reference point of my joy. I, I, and so I do believe there's going to be a judgment. Let the church say, Amen. and I think you better take some holy inventories and you, you know, you better examine your ways and turn again to the Lord. Amen. I'm not, I am not avoiding the tough corners of the truth. I'm just saying, I want to frame my life from the point of, is this pleasurable, delightful, good, holy, true, honorable with the Lord? With the Lord. I want to walk with God and I want to be just like my little girl. She had pain here. She had pain here. She had pain here. But her whole thing, how does this look, Daddy? I want to live like that. How does this look, Daddy? Not because I'm scared. I just want to delight in my father. And to do that, to do that means a lot of times I cannot chiefly delight in y'all. That doesn't mean I never care about what people think. It just means I do not chiefly care what people think. And I do not primarily care what people think. And I do not firstly care what people think. I'm not checking with y'all first. I mean, for example, did I email my sermon to anybody and say, do you think this will be okay? I'm preaching going, how's this, Daddy? How's this, Daddy? And he's saying, well, <laughs> we're going to have a mess to clean up afterwards, but we're having fun, son. The problem or one of the many problems of pride, especially when it gets concerned about what people think, is we'll start doing things to get folks on our side and we'll walk away from the Lord. 
And we'll be right in the middle of all the religious activities and God won't be nowhere in sight, but we'll have, we'll, we'll have the majority opinion. You know how dangerous that is? Anybody remember any recent elections? You can pile up numbers and walk, slap away from the Lord. Fourthly, y'all read this one for me. Let's hear it. I, 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 I toyed with misspelling this just to see <laughs> who would be the first one to say, you didn't spell thoughts right. <laughs> you know, what we tend to do is look out, the, look out the window rather than into the mirror. That's what this guy does in this passage, doesn't he? He goes, when he does look in the mirror, right, you know, he, you know it'd be like, I don't have many good, good looking qualities, right? But I got a nice beard. I know it's nice because so many people walk up to me. People don't need, man, you got a nice beard. If I wanted to look in the mirror and just find, you know, all my good stuff, I'd find one and bring it so close that all I could see was this area right here. I'm like, man, I look good. Because when I start panning out, I go, whoa, let's come back this area. <laughs> That's what the guy does. He, he comes in close to a few things. Did you notice that? He doesn't talk about... His temper, he doesn't talk about a lot of things. The Pharisee, he says, look, I thank God that I ain't like everybody else, that I, I'm not, I don't do extortion, I'm not unjust, and I'm not an adulterer. He said, I thank God that I fast twice a week, I give tithes. He just brought the mirror up close where he could take an examination of the few things he did right and a few things he didn't do wrong. But then, man, he pulls out a microscope on the other guy. You see that? Man, anybody, anybody ever sit in any kind of meeting? At, at, I mean, it could have even been here. could have been in your workplace where it's a blame game. Anybody ever read the story of Adam and Eve? What's the Eve says, the snake made me do it. Adam said, it was that woman you gave me. He doesn't even, even stay at the woman long. He says, is that woman, you gave her to me. This is all your fault, God. This is old as the hills. A proud person always sees the faults in others. They're extremely critical of everybody else. They're extremely critical of everything. You know, you go to do something, they didn't even think of it, but they're suddenly an expert on everything that's wrong with it. That's why I love to cook. I love to cook. But I can take constructive criticism about my cooking, right? But I don't like it from people who never cook. You know, oh, I would do this. I said, oh, i tell you what you could do. You could come in here and cut this stuff up and turn that oven on, and you could do some cooking is what you could do. But that's what happens. We find faults with everything and every person. That's what pride does. The publican, on the other hand, the tax collector, on the other hand, did you notice what he did in today's passage? He says, just God have mercy. God have mercy on me, a sinner. The apostle Paul, as he grew in his faith, you know what he says? God have mercy on me. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst. The more he grew, the more humble he became, the more true he saw himself, the more delightful was the grace of God, the more urgent was his cry for help. Paul says, God, I'm the worst and I need you. 
Last but not least, pride always claims to be right. We love justification. We like to say, you know, hey, I'm right and here's why. I think of the story of David when his son Absalom rebelled and David was fleeing the city and he crossed this creek and this fellow was hurling curses at him. And, and David's, David's homeboy says, hey, uh, king, you want me to go over there and cut his head off? And David says, mm, no, don't do that. Perhaps this is from the Lord. A guy is yelling curses at him. Now, the American way would do what? Curse back. But he says, maybe this is from the Lord. It wasn't that the guy, what he was doing, was doing it the right way, but David wanted to take time to consider, maybe I need to hear this. Maybe at the core of a bad postman is an honest message. Turns out later on, they, they went and killed that guy. <laughs> but in the moment, David considered, is there something I need to hear? When we always are looking for a way to justify ourselves or defend ourselves or justify this or that, rather than saying, you know, God, I want to listen to you. I want to admit when I'm wrong. I want to receive correction. When we always are trying to figure out an angle to feel right and to make others believe we're right, usually the, course, the, the core of that is pride. So there's the issue. There's the issue before us. Now, this morning, if you had to look at your life and say, I'm going to identify with one of these two men. Are you identifying with the Pharisee or the publican? Are you a person who's so proud that even when the Holy Spirit is pushing you to get out of that pew and get down on your knees to pray, that you won't even do it? You're just too proud to be seen praying. Are you too proud to be seen being in need? Or are you that person who says, I don't care what nobody thinks. I need God to touch me. I need God to speak to me. I need God to work in me. I need God to forgive me. I need God to lead me. I don't know what each and every one of you needs from God, but you, you know. You know what you need. And if you don't, the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. Are you going to be like that guy who says, I'm okay, and if I'm not okay, I'll figure it out. I read a statistic recently out loud. No, somebody else read it, and I responded out loud. It was one of those times where the curtain between my mouth and my mind hadn't been closed. They read a statistic that said something like, uh, said, 50% of all uh, of American women are on medication for their emotions. And before I could stop myself, I said, the other 50% hadn't been to the doctor. And the lady who read the thing says, one man is getting ready to go. <laughs> but I'm right. <laughs> I mean about pride. <laughs> if we were real honest, if we were real honest, every one of us in here struggle with this. But the question is, over the next few weeks, are we going to let God pull the top off? And we're going to let God pour something into us? Some of us have been so proud that we tried to work for our salvation. We're just going to be good enough so that God will be happy to let us into heaven. Well, you know, salvation doesn't work like that. You have to believe and receive. 
You have to repent, change your way of thinking of depending on self. That's what repentance means, the change of thinking, change of mind, that leads to a change of action. I'm not going to depend on me. I'm not going to depend on what I've done. I am going to come to God and only claim what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to claim that shed blood to pay for my sin. I'm going to claim that resurrected life to defeat death. I'm going to claim his sacrifice, and I'm going to receive his lordship. I heard the gospel and believed it when I was eight years old. Eight years old. I wouldn't surrender till I was 25. You know what was between eight and 25? Pride. I didn't want to let God be the boss of my life. Because he's not just interested in being the boss from 8.30 to noon on Sunday. Somebody say amen. amen. He wants to be the boss all week. And I really didn't like that proposal. In my life, pride stopped me from walking with God. Not unbelief. I believed in him. But pride, I didn't want him to rule me. And so I wouldn't give in. Some of y'all, that's kept you from, from being saved. Pride has kept some people from, from joining this local church. You keep waiting for the church to get right. It ain't going to ever get right until it goes to heaven. It's always going to be stuff going on. It's full of broken people who's loved fiercely, recklessly by an awesome God. This, we're, we're not the heroes of our own story. He is. Amen? Amen. And so we, we, we got pride about identifying with the church. Some of us have pride about being baptized. Some of us got pride about serving, about giving. The thing is, don't put a top on any area of your life where God could bless you. Where are you at today? As we sing this morning, as we sing our, our hymn of decision, I'll be happy to pray with you. The altar is yours. God has built it for you. You could grab your, your, your friend. You could grab your cousin. You could come to the altar. You could pray together. You could say, you could even tell them, just be with me while I pray. Let's do the opposite of pride. Let's let God do a work in us. Father, as we stand to sing, you move around us and speak. And as you speak, give us the wisdom and weakness to respond to your strength. Move and speak as only you can, Father. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 435, Just As I Am.